The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Eight minutes after seven. Thank you so much for staying with us here on AM Live. On the Forum at 8 this morning, we look at what appears to be an upsurge in tribalism in South Africa. Now, this is in the wake of protesting residents in Malamulele demanding their own municipality, which is separate from Tulamela. And they say that service delivery in the area favors vendors over Tsonga-speaking people. Uh, tribalism has also spread to politics. And for the longest time, we've been hearing... Uh, the rife perceptions that certain politicians only look out and after their own. And on the forum date this morning, we are asking, how can we eradicate tribalism in South Africa? And I know just from that question, you may have many other question, uh, questions arising from that. So do engage with us. 891 is the number to dial. You can tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Alternatively, you can send us an SMS at a cost of two rand to 34701. And joining us for the conversation this morning, we have uh, Professor David Musoma, who is the chairperson and of the Commission for the Promotion of uh, the Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities. Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Prof. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Sakina. Um, I am not uh, the chairperson. I'm the deputy chairperson of the Seattle Rights Commission. Our apologies for that oversight, uh, but thanks for your time all the same. We also have with us historian uh, Professor Jeffrey Pierce, who is a lecturer at the University of Fort Hare. Thanks for your time as well. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to the listeners. And uh, joining us in our uh, Auckland Park studios is uh, Alex Mabunda, who is the managing uh, a managing partner at Ndiyiso Consulting. Thanks for coming through this morning. Thank you, Sakina. Now, I'm going to start off, uh, perhaps I can start with you, Prof. Uh, Pierce. What is tribalism? You know, because we're going to be talking about this particular subject, but perhaps it's worth just defining what tribalism actually is. Well, I think we have to start off by saying that the word tribe is a, is a derogatory term. It, it's a racist term. It really only was applied in the imperialist period to Africans and other third world peoples. So that we wouldn't call, for example, uh, Afrikaners tribes or English-speaking South African tribes. So why should we call Kosa or Zulu or Tsonga-speaking people tribes? And it's, it's not only a question of terminology, because tribe is a racist term because it implies that certain cultures have certain skills. For example, certain tribes are only interested in cattle, other tribes are only interested in agriculture, and so on. It also implies that all tribes are descended from a single person, that there's no flexibility, that people cannot join a tribe, and so on. So um, academics and I think all uh, you know, intellectual people uh, prefer the term ethnicity or, or culture, which is much broader and, and much more more flexible, because <clears throat> tribalism was also the the bedrock uh, of the apartheid system, uh, which and, and, and many of the problems that we see today are also uh, at bottom uh, a result of apartheid. Mm. Prof. Musoma, when we look at the uh, contemporary South African situation, uh, Malamulele, we were there about two weeks ago, and, and it was very clear, you know, uh, people spoke about vendors 
and Tsongas and how opportunities were divided very unequally according to the Malamulele community between the two. But, you know, we've seen this and, and, and in various forms and various ethnic communities and it does seem to be a common thing throughout Africa. But how do we deal with it in a democratic society? Thank you so much, Sakina. Um, first, I need to concur with the description of uh, the uh, concept tribe and uh, its uh, directory um, uh, connotations. Uh, the Malamulele situation um, is an ice of a t- of iceberg. It's the tip of an iceberg because it speaks to the consciousness of our country with regard to how we treat each other. We have taken the apartheid uh, demarcations apartheid identities and how we were um, put as different communities and these were an attempt to weaken us as, as a people. So we've taken up those things. And um, the Malamulele situation is a typical example of that. If you look at, for example, in Mertsanin, you had the Mshaba community and the Maake community Mshaba is a Tsonga speaking, and Mage is a Sutu speaking. Uh, they lived side by side, and there was no problem until apartheid came and moved people from one um, high school where these two uh, people actually attended and created two institutions, created another um, township for uh, Tsonga people, a tran- township for, um, for, for um, Sutu people. And you, that creation itself further exacerbated itself and continued other places as well. So what we get at the Malamlele is precisely a restatement of this. But our meeting yesterday at Malamlele was very clear that the Malamlele people, although they experienced the issue of uh, tribalism in their own uh, um, uh, understanding, the quest for own municipality is not dependent on that. They accept that the Bavenda and the Batsonga are one people. And that uh, there is no way in which that historical setting which brought them together should be made a common denominator as a, an instrument of separation. And so they are questing for a an integrated municipality which is closer to the people. Although they experienced what we call um, inequalities in employment, that is not the basis for it. So the call for um, a municipality, old municipality, is based on that. Now, how do we deal with this? Because uh, Tabum, uh, President Tabum Beke raised it, uh, I think, last year at UNISA to say that um, tribalism is rearing its head. Many leaders of the ANC uh, 1911, I think it was Isaac said we must bury the demon of tribalism and forget it. Albert Lestule also spoke about it and said we need to uh, do away with tribalism because it would weaken our resolve to fight colonialism. So tribalism is a, a, a um, 19th century a colonial construct, which uh, has now found its place 
uh, in our people. And uh, of course, it's exacerbated by the fact that in the way in which we deal with each other, it seems to be operating along the lines of uh, tribe or ethnicity and things like that, and nepotism. Mm. So these are the things we need to be dealing with. Um, if you go to certain offices, you'll find that if um, a, a, um, a chief director is, a, um, say, um, you'll find all the uh, high-ranking persons under him or her are of that tribe. If you find maybe an Indian um, uh, colleague um, at a high position, you look in that department, you'll find a conglomeration of people from the same, uh, what you call, ethnicity. Uh, and so forth and so forth. These are just examples, not uh, you know, just to give an indication of the uh, intensity of the problem in South Africa. And until we nip it at the bat, we will have difficulty in creating a sustainable and cohesive society. We can dream about unity, but we must deal with those things that stand on the way of creating a cohesive society in our country. And I'm very interested to know, you know, how do we go about nipping it in the bud, as you say? But I'll come back to that in just a moment, because um, I just want to ask Alex here, you know, looking at tribalism and, uh, you know, its effects, and from what uh, Prof was just saying now, is it not also undermining our democracy? Uh, thank you, Sakina. Of course, it does um, undermine our. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. It does undermine our democracy, and um, it is very important that we begin to look at this problem uh, and not just uh, sweep it uh, under the carpet. Um, am I still on air? Yes, you are. Okay, thank you. Um, but then, just going back to the two speakers that have just spoken, uh, it is true that um, tribalism is a Eurocentric. Uh, concept that was meant to basically divide up Bantu or, or black people as we understand them um, and that over the centuries uh, or even over the years uh, decades so to speak um, this system has been cemented with the formation of the uh, former homelands um, and also separate development that emanated from that and coming into the new um, dispensation after 1994 um, you know, obviously there was a sense that we need to continue now as a rainbow nation. Um, and from my perspective, this matter was never really put on the table to say how do we deal with this issue. What happened is that um, the redemarcation of um, the provinces and municipalities, but particularly the provinces, were such that the various major groups were had each one of them um, demarcated their own province, if I may say. But in Limpopo, you had a different situation where you had three groups um, that were demarcated together in that uh, province. And in doing so, I think we missed um, an opportunity to also understand the historical inertia that comes with so-called, if I may say, tribal relations. And I think this issue now is rearing its head. So to look or rather to solve the problem uh, and without really getting to the solution itself, we need to go back and understand the, the historical context of the problem.
Mm. And we are asking you this morning on the Forum at Eight, how can we eradicate tribalism in South Africa? And if you think we can't, tell us about that as well. We'd love to hear your views on this particular matter. 891 is the number to dial. You can SMS us on 34701 at a cost of two rand. And you can also tweet or Facebook at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Um, Prof Piers, I just want to come back to you, you know, uh, with regard to nipping this in the but and, and because very clearly it doesn't seem as though there is much to gain from actually continuing on this tribalistic trend and however how do we go about actually reversing this or transcending the ethnic differences um thank you so much uh, Sakina. um first i think education is primary uh, it's a primary instrument of making people aware of the dangers of tribalism or ethnicity and nepotism. Um, in that it would uh, defeat or it becomes a threat to our quest for an authentic uh, democracy and even our vision for a, a rainbow nation. So education plays a pivotal role. You will see that even apartheid, how it was able to succeed in dividing us, education was a key. Uh, institutions were created to make sure that uh, we learn things differently so that when we meet, we have suspicion about each other. So the, the area which um, must begin to cultivate these new values of society must be at the kindergarten, um, early childhood, the primary schools, high schools, universities, everywhere, so that we begin to talk about a, a common people, people who understand common destiny, understand where the sense of belonging as South Africans. We need to start there. The second, as a CRL commission, we have what we call active um, community councils. So we need to activate those because in each community we need to have people who are tasked and who are passionate about promoting um, peace, social harmony, tolerance, friendship, and national unity. And these would require resources to be able to activate those so that each and every community must be able to uh, have people who engender and calculate these values. Uh, uh, Thirdly, we need what I call um, civic education. What does it mean to be a citizen of New South Africa? What are the responsibilities inherent in that call for a common citizenry? Because some of the things uh, people do because they lack understanding, they lack information, and um, we talk about um, uh, the, the social vision that we have, but we don't have corresponding programs to undergird and ensure that these programs go down to the grassroots and people understand precisely why we are all about. And the fourth thing is appointment, is a representativeness in appointments. You know, people in high positions can actually assist that when they consider appointment, let them look across the board, whether the staffing is... Um, uh, it's it, uh, egalitarian. It takes into account people in the area so that um, communities must see their representation in the leadership that uh, um, uh, um, uh, has been uh, identified. So they must not see themselves outside because we are trying to engender that we are one people. And there must be ways in which we uh, continue to demonstrate this in, in real-life situations. Mm, but are we one people? Are we a nation, Prof. Pierce? Because, you know, 
there's this um, uh, uh, unity in diversity uh, slogan that we are promoting in this country. Uh, it's more than just a slogan. I mean, it's, it's, it's something, a program that government is actively enforcing. Now, if you look at that unity in diversity, then you have someone coming up with a T-shirt saying 100% Zulu, 100% this or the other. How do we then get to a point where you have a national identity and a national loyalty that actually trumps the tribal divisions? Um, thank you so much. I think we need to look at this okay. both in the historical but also in the, the economic uh, dimension. Uh, in the first place, uh, the, we had a national consciousness. We had an African national consciousness which came into being in 1912, and which the colonial and apartheid systems then, as Alex has said, sought to undermine by the the Bantustan strategy. But we did have a national consciousness based on the fact that Africans were migrant laborers or they were working on farms, and then they discovered that whatever their cultural language affiliation, uh, however much these differed, but as Africans there was a common exploitation uh, and that's what gave birth to the African National Congress, and that's what gave birth to the, the freedom struggle, the feeling that we are all Africans. Now, therefore, in order to complete the Rainbow Nation in 1994, it seemed as if all that we needed to do was to bring along the other three so-called ethnic groups, including the whites on board. Now, the, the problem that we have, as I see it today, is that uh, uh, although I agree that, uh, as my colleague has said, the thing needs to be fought at an ideological level, there are deep economic reasons why you are having these kinds of things because the tribalism uh, predominates in the economically stagnant, deep rural areas because where there is a vibrant economy, where wealth derives from productive economic activity, there is a common interest in promoting the general welfare. But where the economy stagnates, uh, there's a feeling that wealth does not come from the grassroots, but wealth comes only from the top. And you then have the development of cliques. And these cliques mobilize around ethnic lines. And that is why instead of everybody pulling together, you have uh, different cliques the one calling themselves tribe number one or tribe number two. Uh, If I could just uh, conclude by saying in the Eastern Cape, where you don't have this particular problem, uh, we we had a problem of uh, stock thieves and vigilantes fighting each other in two districts. Several thousand people were killed. And our Premier of the time, uh, Makinkesi Stofile, said basically people are fighting because they are poor. And uh, there was a special development program that went into these two small districts and did completely transform the economic situation so that that problem disappeared. So I would suggest that you cannot just fight this thing on an ideological level, but you have to actually fight this thing by reviving the, the economy of the deep rurals so that people don't jostle for government resources. Alex? Um Thank you again, <clears throat> once again. Um, yes, uh, it, it, the prof is right. Um, you know, uh, there are two dimensions to this. There's the ideological, um, and even um, Dr. Musuma touched on this education. 
thing. But I just wanted to take it one step further in, in history. And I mean, you, you asked the question whether indeed we were one person or is this supposed to be a marriage of convenience? And I just want to argue, if I may say, that we are actually one person or one people. Um, if you follow the short history of the past, say, about 500 years with the arrival of the first colonialists uh, in the late um, 1400s, um, Bantu of this southern part of Africa lived under one polity uh, in, 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 in Great Zimbabwe under the kingdom of Monomutapa. And it was only when the Portuguese attacked um, that civilization that various groups fled to the hinterlands, uh, some coming down further south to, to, to the coast of, um, of the Cape. And again, with the arrival of the, um, the Dutch and subsequently um, the uh, English in, in, in 1795, the competition for scarce resources intensified, and that led to what we now call Mfekane, which led to groups breaking down further um, and, and scattering all over. And what remained of that was what the Union of South Africa picked up on um, to then reorganize those groups into what now we call um, language groups. I'll give you an example. Um, if you look at the Munyai family, for example, they are currently classified as vendor, but they are the same family as Balo, you are classified as Tsonga. These are of Kalanga or Stroke Rosui clan. Uh, uh, the same goes with the Mtembus. They are spread between the Zulus, the Kosas, the Tsongas, and the Swatis. I, I can mention the Mkwenas are across the Tswana Sutu. Uh, even the Makubeles, I mean, my mother is, is, is a Mugwena, you know, she will say, Gwena uh, Medzi, you know. Mm. These are the same people. So we are one people. Um, we are being differentiated by basically what is merely dialects. I wouldn't even call them languages because if you look deeper and analyze the ways themselves, you will see that this is a common language. These are people that broke from one center. And I think we need to rediscover that commonality and use it to forge um, a common future. But of course, there are underlying practical issues, as the professor has mentioned, the political, rather um, economic issues on the ground. And I think for that, we need a slightly different approach, which I can share with you later on. Mm. And of course, we're talking tribalism this morning. We are asking, how can we eradicate tribalism in South Africa? Uh, we've spoken about, you know, the socio-economic aspects of it. We've touched on that. It has infiltrated politics. We've touched on that as well. And, you know, we, we, we need to ask the difficult questions here. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. On the Forum at 8 this morning, we ask, how can we eradicate tribalism in South Africa? And uh, taking your calls now on 891 Our guest this morning, Professor uh, David Mosuma. We also have uh, Professor Jeffrey Pierce and Alex Mabunda as our guest this morning. Massey in Cape Town, good morning. Um, good morning. I, I would like to ask you why they want to er- eradicate tribalism. It's there. It's ingrained in people. So um, there are so many languages, so many dialects, that um, this is something that has been going on for generations. In fact, if you go back uh, in history to the destruction of the Tower of Babel, the peoples were scattered all over the earth with their different languages. So I don't see what the problem is. What I would like to mention, though, is this. 
Um, when the president gives his talk, there are journalists. Some of them have actually written a book on all his sayings. In the in the one, him being a, a, a diehard traditionalist, one one wonders why he makes these comments. For instance, um, he said he used witchcraft on the Boers. In another uh, uh, speech, to also to journalists, when they asked him about the return of Jesus Christ, he said, well, he believes that very firmly because he is a Christian. So, you know, one wonders how he equates the two, witchcraft with uh, Christianity. Um, now, you know, speaking of him as a diehard traditionalist, um, you always see him pictured in his uh, skins and his dancing and all that. He's, he's uh, as I said, a diehard tra traditionalist. So I don't believe those sayings that he said because um, I believe he is very firmly entrenched in his beliefs. Thank you. That's Massey in Cape Town. Right. Let me read some of the SMSs that have come through very quickly. Bruno in Durban says, Hi SK, how can we stop tribalism if we encourage everyone not to learn English that can help us to communicate from north to south, east to west and internationally and go to our own languages only? If everyone stick to only his own language, we will always be divided. That's a view from Bruno in Durban. Uh, TP in Upper says tribalism is alive in South Africa. There are still people in South Africa who will ask you, are you pedi vendor or what? David Ntunzi in Mabatu, tribalism or ethnicity cannot be eradicated. We need to learn instead to tolerate each other's way uh, or of of our natural behavior or expression. Sammy and Benoni says, uh, can we move away from the word tribalism? It is a colonial construct. We have Izizwe and Izizwana, which correctly describe the grouping of people. Uh, maybe we'll uh, get some one of our guests to touch on that. This one says, Prof. Piers claims that the concept of a tribe is a colonial construct. Does he also say the same about clans? Bunulo in Mahikeng says, Nguni-speaking people are the worst tribalists in South Africa. Uh, Toloba Makambo, uh, xenophobia, tribalism, racism and apartheid are the same evil. It's all about values. It's about, uh, um, it's about division and undermining others. Worried from the Eastern Cape says, uh, Zuma started tribalism when they printed T-shirts with his face on it saying 100% Zulu. He never condemned the ones who printed those shirts. Uh, Silo Shai Murole in Bombela says, Government failed to deal with tribalism, uh, which continued to eat our democracy from within Malamulele, and we can't create an indigent municip municipality with 11 wards. Political parties must close the space that they have created created at once and Steve in Makado says a real uh, that thing will never go away it is deep in our system of origin and Zweletu says the tribal ladder is used to elevate the president to the throne and those are some of the comments that are coming through with regard to tribes and tribalism let's just take a few more calls uh, very quickly Portia and Santon good morning hi good morning um my comment is just that uh, tribalism and xenophobia are really closely linked. I like the gentleman who was talking about the different tribes and how people are one. And if you look across um, neighboring countries, borders were put together by the colonialists who came and 
you know, divided the land and divided up the people. But if you look at the tribes and different parts of the world, you'll find the Moyos across in Zambia, in Zimbabwe, and so on and so forth. So this thing, it really, it was a divide and conquer, and it worked effectively. It worked also, that's why apartheid was so effective and for so long, because you divide and you conquer. Unfortunately, it continues now amongst the people instead of people reuniting. I know we have so many languages to make everyone feel um, like they're not excluded. However, I do agree with the person who made the comment that maybe we should use one language or unify as much as possible because when we don't do that, it, it makes us focus on our differences rather than what um, our similarities are and what keeps us together. And when we do that, we, we continue to fight one another. All right. Thank you so much for that contribution, Portia, calling us from Santon. Arthur, you and Guiani, good morning. Okay, my dear friend, how are you? Well, and you? I'm good. Uh, I'll be very quick here. Let me, let, me, let me first say to you and the listeners that tribalism exists where I come from. And I'm speaking as a concerned citizen who is stronger speaking. I have been to Venda for so many times. It takes me 20 minutes driving to Venda. There is too much development in Venda. People who have never been to Limpopo in the area such as Diani, Malamlele, and Venda, they're just talking things that they don't know. We live there, we know the conditions that we are living under. I'm glad you raised the issue of 100% Zulu plan or whatever. Let me remind you, SK, that it is vendor-speaking people who have started that thing, and I've got evidence. I've been staying in Pretoria for a very long time. Now, there were even distributing stickers that say Shumera Vendor, which means work for vendor, work for who? Those people are the ones who have started those things. Now, our leaders are the ones who are starting these things, who are promoting these things. You can't, when we are uh, uh, complaining at, at, at Malambele, to say uh, vendors, uh, leaders uh, in the municipalities are directly service delivery to their own people. You, as the president of the republic, go on to invite King Peporama Bulana to the state of nation address. What message are you sending? To, to the people. Are you confirming what you are crying about? Are you confirming what you are saying to say these people don't want to bring us services because we speak a different language from them? Now, hence I'm saying that the president is start with himself. He can't undermine us like that. One thing I want to remind him is that people have got eyes they can see, people have got ears they can hear, and people's patience do run out. All right. And Yes, and now what, one thing that I'll say, I'll say yeah, is that please, I'm making a call to, to, to the office of the president. Please bring back the Malamlele people to Guiani who will work with them. They are our own brothers and sisters. We speak the same language. All right, that's Arthur in Guiani. Um, Kifilwe, you calling from Soweto. Good morning. Yes, yes. I uh, You know, I think your panel is being academic about this thing. You know, your last caller has actually said half of the things that I was going to say. I'll just give you one example. I live with a white lady here in my street. When she's got flowers, she'll bring me flowers. When I've grown a lot of tomatoes, I'll send her tomatoes. 
racism and tribalism is something that you decide to practice, you know. But at the same time, I don't know what Cyril Ramaphosa is doing in Lesotho. Because Malamulel is a serious problem. Shibambo, Cyril Ramaphosa, Malima and Zuma, they must go and spend a month in Malamulela and sort out that problem and actually get those people understand that they are part of South Africa and develop that area. I don't know what he is doing in Lesotho. Lesotho is not our problem. Malamulela is our problem. Okay. I, I tell you what, mm. Kifilu, I'm going to make a note of that last uh, sentiment that you expressed there, that Lesotho is not our problem. And maybe we'll discuss the issue of our neighbors, neighboring countries, and whether they are our problem or not on another occasion. But thanks for the call. The question we are asking uh, this morning is, how can we eradicate tribalism in South Africa? And there are so many other questions that are arising from this that I hope our panel will have an opportunity to respond to uh, very briefly. Manta in Boxburg, good morning. Yes, good morning, Sakina. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, Sakina, my view, and uh, I want to agree with your, with your um, panel, that we need to educate people and as to where this whole thing started. Because my belief is that unless we are able to educate people and show them that this is narrow ethnicity, you see, because for me, um, we, we the commonalities that uh, run through all these uh, groupings um, are, are so much that uh, it, it, it will be very uh, narrow to, for us to start saying who is who here. Um, because, from, for instance, if you look at it, I mean, there is a group called the Chubis. And if you look at the Chubi people, the, some of them are speak Kosa, some of them speak Zulu, some of them speak Sotho. So where do you draw the line here? Um, this is the colonial definition to say how do you actually divide people. And I agree with your panel. And that's my contribution because I don't see why we should not actually educate people and show people where do they come from in terms of the ancient history of South Africa and how people are related to each other. Because people are discriminating each other whilst they are actually related to each other. The, the question of language is, for me, the languages that we speak in South Africa are not languages, are dialects. Because if you look at um, uh, uh, Pedi, there's an element of, uh, of Shangan in there, in Kosa is the same as Zulu, and so on and so on. We need, if we are to develop in this country and move forward, we need to, de- to, to be able to know where we come from and who are we as people. Thank you. Thank you so much, Manza. Uh, Riranzu in um, Valdesia, good morning. Good morning, ma'am. You are welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me on there. Uh, I need to make an input in this debate of eradicating um, tribalism. Please go ahead. Um, when we, we, we have two components of uh, definition here. The first is the colonial uh, clusters, and the second, which is the, the most important, is the, our origin as, uh, as Africans here in Africa. We, when we look at the, when we listen and uh, consult our our ancestors as we are ancestral people, we we belong to one group. This group called the the Tonga group. 
the Tonga group uh, uh, comprises uh, a wide range of uh, dialects today. As we look into our daily practices in Africa, more especially down south, we have the younger, uh, those who call themselves the, uh, of the younger, the Karanga, the Halaka, and, uh, and um, the Karanga. Uh, all these people refer to themselves as such because they are the children of the sun. And then they are, among them, we have the Tonga Ila, who today, the Tonga Ila and the Tonga Lala, who today refer to themselves as the Arabs. We are in origin, as we originate, uh, we are in origin, from our origin we refer to ourselves as Mukaribs, basically, meaning prophet kings. Now, these prophet kings refer to themselves as children of the sun. And children of the sun in our Tonga language down south, it's referred to as Ndwandwe, Ndwandwe meaning the light. Therefore, when the whites came into this country, they had one mandate and one mandate only. What it was to eradicate the ruling class of this, of this great nation. And that ruling class was called the Nguni. And it was broken down into all different dialects that we have in this country. The languages that we have as Chosa, as Zulu, Tsonga, Venda, are all, orig are all originating from the Tonga, the Tonga dialect. The ruling class, which according to the white classification, was later referred to as the Tonga people. Now, as you can see, uh, in all our education, uh, all the textbooks, all the material that we have, and uh, of course the material that is embodied by all the learned people, refers to Tonga people as not being members of the country. They are not actually considered as South Africans because their kings were driven out of, the, of South Africa. Now, it is said that the uh, Tsonga are uh, actually uh, penetrated into this country through famine from Mozambique. But as the whites came, we did not have Mozambique, we did not have Zambia, we did not have Zimbabwe, we did not have South Africa. We had Africans who were living under one kingdom, which was divided into several sub-kingdoms. We have the kingdom of the sun under the Ndwandwe, the Numalos, the Sen. We have the kingdom of the air, we have the kingdom of water, we have the kingdom of, uh, of earth. And all these kingdoms come together as one kingdom. These are the, this is the problem that we are faced with today. Now, in the formation of our democracy, it was, we all referred back to the material gathered and uh, fed us in indoctrination in, in, in style by whites, that whatever is written in the textbooks is the correct information. Okay. Today, when you, you see, today, when we speak about this, you hear people asking you, where did you read it? Who wrote it? Uh, who, who, who told you that? Uh, we are all condemned by the education that we received, that whatever is correct is that which comes from whites. Okay. Whites became superior based on the... Uh, um, uh, ancestral uh, uh, activities. 
Riranzu, thanks for raising quite a few issues there that we need to respond to because the question then arises, why then are we maintaining the status quo? I mean, what is the payoff for liberators uh, to actually maintain the borders, to actually maintain the geographic um, differences that were established unlawfully? Those are the questions. Why do we remain that way? The Forum at 8 on SAFM. On the forum at 8 this morning, we are asking how can we eradicate tribalism in South Africa and many other questions arising from this one. But let me come to you, Alex, uh, just to try and respond to some of the issues that the callers have raised. Uh, Thank you, Sakina. Yeah, quite a number of issues have been raised and I think what is coming out clear and which is what we indicated uh, as panelists was that um, this ill of tribalism is there. Uh, I, I don't think mm. trying to solve it, uh, part of it is to ignore it and say it's not good. Because it's not good, it doesn't mean that it's not there. Um, but I also just wanted to throw in something that says we have the issue of tribalism in general. But I think when we come to the Malamlele issue, um, the issue of tribalism is basically secondary to the real issues um, that are there, or rather it, it's, it's a mirror to the real issues that are there. And the issues really is about demarcations uh, and boundaries. And I just wanted to cite something here from um, a scholar from the Independent Project Trust on, on, on boundaries. Uh, hopefully it's short enough. It says, boundaries create the territorial space in which we live, distribute power to people who influence our lives, determine where we vote, create tax bases, construct regional identities, facilitate or impede easy transport, determine access to public services and become blueprints for development planning. Boundaries have enormous social, cultural, economic and political ramifications that are felt most deeply in the affected areas. And, you know, this is something that when we approach the Malamlele issue, I don't think it's fair to just take the tribal, you know, label and, and use that to try and understand this problem. We must understand that groups which have been created by a system that people of Malamlelo or anyone else is not responsible for. That group has been created by history. That's a coherent group. Now to take, to use boundaries rather, to rob that group of their own constitutional right to develop as a group uh, in the name of eradicating tribalism, when we know that this issue of tribalism is a completely different issue which has got its own separate dynamics that have nothing to do with where I live. I mean, I need to know where's my nearest office where if I feel that there's a problem with the street, I can go there and talk to people that I have some form of affinity to to try and deal with the problem. So, you know, it's my Mm -hmm. humble view that in as much as we want to eradicate tribalism, it will be unfair to use the real issue of the politics of boundaries, you know, to then want to address uh, the Malamlele issue. We need to look at that from a different perspective altogether. And this is where the likes of um, Arthur uh, from Guiani comes from. Uh, it's not really that people want to divide along those lines. It's just that boundaries are important, you know. Um, okay. I will perhaps just leave it to that. Um, uh, uh, let me ask uh, Prof. Musuma about the issue of language because that also came through very strongly. Um, you know, someone is saying here we must start by ditching uh, 10 languages first. No, no, no. You know, how does the issue of language, how can that help us eradicate tribalism in South Africa? I, I don't think uh, the proposal of uh, uh, instituting English 
is a solution to eradicating uh, tribalism. Um, language is a carrier of culture, and it assists people to identify themselves, who they are, uh, but you, you cannot substitute that for, 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 for anything. The argument I want to put in place is this, that you'll find there are communities that live side by side, that are integrated, and they have different languages, but these languages are not a means of division among themselves, means of communication. Uh, take, for instance, you go to a place called uh, Palabora. There's a small community called Maseke. In that small community, you've got uh, Sutus, you've got Tsongas. They live side by side, and they are able to communicate in Tsonga. They are commu- able to communicate in Sutu as well, and the other places like Bushback Ridge. So one cannot uh, blame the language in this particular instance. Language, as I say, it's merely a means to a particular end, but it's not an end by in itself. Secondly, tribalism can be eradicated, or ethnicity can be eradicated, in the same way as it was constructed. Because that which was constructed can be reconstructed. But the, the idea that it cannot be reconstructed simply because it was there, I think uh, um, it, it doesn't augur well, that especially. If we ag- agree that we want to build a united and cohesive South Africa, all our efforts must go into educating South Africans how um, they become one as a people. The multiplicity of languages and cultures are merely a tapestry, a, 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 a decoration of their strengths, and that is not a, a, a something that must be deemed as their weaknesses. Uh, for example, if you look among whites, you've got the Sp- Spanish, you've got Portuguese, you've got Afrikaners, you've got English, you've got Germans. But in no way are the multiplicity of languages used as a, a, a basis for separation, as is the case in our languages. Why should our languages be deemed that way when others are not deemed that way? So it is important that uh, we consider the issue of eradicating um, uh, 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 tribalism or ethnicity, because if we don't do that, it's a threat not only to democracy, it's a threat to our vision of building a rainbow nation. All right. And um, Professor Piers, we are out of time, so you get the opportunity to wrap it all up for us. Uh, no, thanks. I'd like to address that question about whether tribalism is something that is inborn rather than a creation of uh, colonialism and politics. Uh, the, the, basically, you have three different levels of consciousness. You have got your family. And that is something that is inborn, what the one lady called a clan. That's something that you're born into that you can't do anything about. Uh, Then secondly, you have your culture. It's the language you speak. It's where you feel comfortable. It's where you've got your friends. And that is also good. And thirdly, you've got your national identity as a South African. Now, the problem of tribalism uh, is uh, tribalism breaks down the balance between your culture, your, your identification with your culture, and your identification with your nation. Under tribalism, you stop identifying with a nation, and you identify exclusively with the people who speak the same language and have the same culture as you. And, and my analysis really would be that this problem of tribalism stems from economic uh, backwardness of certain areas that are not developed. If you put, uh, if you revive the, the economics, the economies of these deep rurals, 
uh, you will not eliminate tribalism, but you will reduce it considerably. Thank you. And that's where we have to leave it this morning. Thank you so much, as always, for your fantastic participation. Our guest this morning, Alex Mabunda, um, Prof. Jeffrey Pierce, as well as Professor David Musuma. Thanks for your time as well. And to the production team, we'll be back with you tomorrow, bright and early, 6 a.m. to 9. Right now, though, it's time for news with Vabakshni Chetty Miller at 9.